acknowledge and identify. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome, human. Logan! I am ready for you. How many of you want this to be lasting? I never heard of a Sandman running, ever. There is no sanctuary. Fish, plankton, sea greens, and protein from the sea. You don't have to die. Well, no one has to die at 30. You can live. Live. You are terminated, runner. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner, overwhelming, am I not? Now, fly the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bin. Retrogram complete. Proceed 03303. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and I am here with my buddy Scott Gardner. You know, all of a sudden it's me and you all the time. How did that happen? Uh, I don't know. All we needed was a global pandemic to, to make it <laughs> to make it occur. <laughs> well, well, there's that and the fact that Bill is the new Scott. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm loving this. You know, I have. Uh, I mean, I know we've been doing bins fairly regularly, although it was you know up until recently was nowhere near as regularly as uh, as I wanted it to be. So this might sound like a strange thing to say for regular bins listeners, but I have missed podcasting. And what I mean by that is I used to do a hell of a lot more than I do now. You know, it used to be what it was, it was like something like 14 shows or some ridiculous thing. And now it's just the one. So, yeah, I've, I've missed it. And uh, so this has been fun to, to be, you know, doing, uh, you know, regular episodes again and, you know, on something of a schedule. I, I make no promises for what the future holds. Once I'm actually, you know, back to work and everything, it'll probably be back to the same old, hey, what happened to Scott? But for the moment, I'm... He'll be on assignment once to, <laughs> once you go back to work. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but uh, today we're covering the final, and yet not final, uh, issue of Logan's Run. It's the last issue of the adaptation of the movie. Uh, but we have two more issues after this to cover that we've agreed we're going to do just the same but we do conclude the movie today this will be the uh, last half an hour or so of the film and i rewatched that uh, yesterday just uh, in in preparation i mean not that i really needed to i pretty much have that movie memorized but uh there there was a question that popped up that i actually didn't know the answer to looking at the adaptation i'm like did this happen in the movie so i had to go and, and watch it but i mean you know you don't exactly have to put a gun to my head to get me to watch uh well, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it. The the fight between Francis and uh, and Logan that that's oh my god, I love that sequence of the movie. That uh, and I'll, I'll explain why as we get into it. 
So, Logan's Run number five. As Paul said, the last uh, issue of the adaptation of the film. This has a cover date of May 1977, which uh, is a pretty special date in fandom, being uh, you know the Star Wars, uh, the the regular celebration of of Star Wars. All although I really like my buddy uh, Scott Rifen's philosophy is that you know very few of us were actually there like we seem to think that we were for may 25th 1977 most of us you know came in a little later star wars was a pretty limited release at the time but anyway that's the cover date i did a little bit of digging to see you know was logan's run and star wars ever on the stands at the same time so stay tuned uh, we'll be talking about that uh, a little bit later down the road uh, the actual on-sale date for this, according to Mike's Amazing World, was uh, February 15th of 1977. Now, the cover on this, the cover for this issue, this is my favorite of the entire series right here. I know you've been waiting for me to say which one was my favorite because I hinted <laughs> at it several times. I love this cover. Uh, it's by George Perez, of course. Inks this time by Frank Giacoya. And it's awesome. It's multicolored. It's uh, very bright. It's very dynamic. It's Francis looking a lot like Wolverine standing over Logan. He's holding uh, the American flag, which is badly tattered and torn. Uh, Really very little of it left. And uh, he has a pointy, you know, the what do they call that? The You know, the, the staff, the pole that the flag is attached to. But it's very pointy on the end of it. And he's about to run Logan through. And Logan's just holding up his hands like, no, don't, type of thing. It says the chef. And it makes me think of Monty Python. I don't know if you make that connection at all. Uh, oh, pointed stick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, if, if Logan had a, had a banana, he'd be okay. Right. <laughs> What if he's got a bunch? <laughs> I love it. Uh, what if he's got a pointed stick? Right. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I love that skit. I really do. Uh, it says here on the cover, shattering conclusion, a world in flame as Logan faces the final fury of End run. And it's interesting to note that in the background on this, you have the domed city uh, all blowing up and everything, which is not where the scene uh, with Logan and Francis takes place. So this is a weird cover because it sort of happens in the movie and totally doesn't happen in the movie. It's kind of a combination of, of different scenes. So it's, it's really cool, but I like this cover a lot. Some interesting color choices on the cover. See, now, and, and it, it this is not meant to be a criticism, so I don't want to. I want to try and clear that up from the beginning, but just just things that make me just kind of look at it a little closer and just wonder why they made the choices. Um, there's enough stuff exploding plus the red on the flag that I kind of understand not wanting to have a red background at the top uh, because you would lose the contrast. So instead, they have a yellow background. I almost feel like a red background would be appropriate, except for the fact that it would eliminate that contrast. And I think they were of that similar mindset, so they went with yellow, which I think works. So I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, and then with the the domed areas, got you know light blue and and slightly darker blue to kind of reflect the glass, and that's all cool. But the earthen areas are kind of a, a mauve. Right. Yeah. And I'm not sure about that choice. It doesn't bother me per se but i'm not sure that a different choice wouldn't have been better if you had gone for like a brown earthy look i wonder what it would have looked like 
See, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, if you knew absolutely nothing about Logan's run, if this was your absolute first exposure to it just by this cover, where would you think this was? Because I the moon, the moon or, or a space colony. And I kind of wonder if that's why they put the moon in the sky uh, right to the right of the logo is to try to make it a little more like, OK, this is Earth type of thing. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Those colors for the sky and the ground with the Dome City looks completely alien. It does not look like like it's Earth. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And again, like I said, it's not necessarily so much a criticism as an observation because I think it's a very sharp cover. And I think the colors do all contrast each other well. So it's not that I don't think it looks good. I think just upon closer inspection, the color of the earth, just you, you'd say, well, how does it get that color? The only thing I could think is maybe they're trying to imply that there's so many explosions going on that the explosions themselves are creating that look, you know, that reddish look all over and the yellow look to the sky, which is not necessarily a bad thought. Right. So that that could explain it a little bit, too. Uh, but I think ultimately the choice was probably made saying this is a good contrast and it makes other things on the page pop. In particular, I think uh, Logan and Francis's gray and white uniforms really pop with all these colors behind them. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. I like how it looks. I, I know I know I criticized uh, the issue one cover for making the Sandman. You know, they've changed the color scheme because it's it's basically it's. Uh, black stripe on kind of a blue uniform whereas here it looks very punisher like it on this one it really works it's it's very dynamic i I think it really you know pops and stands out it's cool i i really like this cover yeah i I don't do not disagree with you i think it's pretty cool as well for a change the story inside is actually uh how they bill it on the cover it is actually called enrund and again it's uh written by david Kraft, who's uh you know david anthony Kraft. art on this one again by george perez as the penciler with interior inks uh also colors by klaus jansen and real quick i just want to point this out uh, I, I, I've often wondered how many people we've driven nuts over the years by continuing, or at least I do, continuing to call Klaus Jansen on uh, Klaus Jansen. Yes, I do know that it's actually Johnson, but I have a feeling that if we talked about Johnson or Klaus Johnson, that people wouldn't know who the hell we're talking about. So I'm purposely mispronouncing that name. And I'm going to say I, I did not know it's Johnson. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was Jansen. I also think it's Klaus. Right. <laughs> Not close, but uh, whatever, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but you know what? We're, we're, we're ugly Americans and such is life. Well, I, I was looking at another one of those. Uh, it, it goes around on Facebook, you know, comic book groups from time to time. But have you ever seen th- – this goes way back. I think it's 70s or 80s. But there was one of those uh, – I think it's a Stan – soapbox and it's a list of artists last names and a pronunciation guide that marvel actually printed in like the bullpen bulletins or something you know what i'm talking about i do remember that and it goes around from time to time and i saw it again the other day and all these people were chiming in going you know when it came to him and bill sankevic were both going oh i never knew you know type of thing because uh, I pr- mispronounced Sinkevich for the longest time. And, you know, and my I, I thought it was Sinkevich. 
Well, I got it straight from the horse's mouth. So that that's in Quebec. Yeah, in Quebec. Yeah, with the with okay, the. I thought it was in Quebec. Yeah, with mistake. the uh, what do you call it? The emphasis on on the Kev. So it's in Quebec. Is that that's how he pronounced it? Because I always, I mean, I've had umpteen different pronunciations, but I'm with you. The the most recent one I had before he told me was uh, Sinkevich, and he said no, it's and he pronounced it that way. So I'm going by what he said. <laughs> good to know. Um, where was I? I? I'll probably forget it and mispronounce <laughs> it, but still, still good to I'll know. I still know who you're talking about. All right, so we are ready to dive into this one. So end run, synopsis as follows. In the 23rd century. Logan Five stands in the ruins of the United States Senate chamber, staring up in shock at his former Sandman partner, Francis Seven, who holds a gun to the head of Jessica Six. In dialogue almost completely different from the film, Logan tries to reason with Francis and finally convinces the dogged pursuer to open his palm and look at his life clock. Francis does, and is stunned to find it is clear. But Francis denounces the powerless crystal as a lie. Jessica seizes the moment and bats Francis's weapon out of his hand. Francis, in turn, smacks Jessica aside, blaming her for ruining his best friend. Logan, seeing this, swears to kill Francis for striking her. Francis, enraged, leaps down out of the gallery and tackles his former colleague, scattering cats everywhere. An epic, brutal struggle ensues, and all the old man can do is watch helplessly as Francis and Logan, once the best of friends, now fight each other to the death. The two men pummel each other with fists and throws and tossed objects until Francis seizes a staff holding a torn and tattered U.S. flag and wields it against Logan. But Logan is able to turn the tide of battle and takes up the staff himself, ultimately using it to bludgeon the unrelenting Francis to death. That night, after burying his friend at the old man's suggestion, Logan informs them that he's made a decision. They have to go back. They must return to the city and tell everyone what they've discovered. Jessica is initially horrified by the idea, but Logan explains that the life clocks kill people every day, and that he couldn't live with himself, here or anywhere, if he didn't at least try to put a stop to it. And so, along with the old man, who is intrigued by the prospect of seeing thousands of other young people, they set out the next morning to return to the domed city. Along the way, we are treated to more sights of the ruins of civilization before finally reaching the vortex of a wave power inlet, part of the hydroelectric system that provides power for the city. Realizing that the old man can't possibly accompany them, Logan and Jessica tell him to wait, and they will bring the people out to meet him. And with that, they dive into the water and swim the treacherous route back into the domed city. Once there, they make an appeal to the gathering crowds filtering into that evening's carousel. Logan tells the people that it's all a lie. There is no renewal. They don't have to die at 30. They've been outside. People can live outside. But just as it seems some may be starting to actually listen to him, a squad of Sandman arrive and take him away to computer and central debriefing. There, Logan's conscious mind is channeled into the computer's verification circuits, manifest only by video construct holograms. 
each one denying the existence of sanctuary, stating life clock is a lie, computer is a lie, lies, all lies. The computer, somehow overwhelmed, explodes, freeing Logan from the mind link. Logan decks a fellow Sandman and takes his weapon, and together he and Jessica fight their way outside as the city explodes, burns, and collapses all around them. The great domes, now shattered and broken, allow the people, the thousands and thousands of young people, to pour out into the open, outside, where, at the power vortex, along with his cats, the old man waits. And while the old man cries tears of joy, Logan and Jessica watch from nearby and wonder if they've done the right thing. Logan wishes Francis were here to see this. It's the dawn of a new era, Logan, says Jessica. I know, he replies, but I can't help shedding a tear for the past. It is a night of new hopes and sad memories. It is a beginning and an end. Next issue, to run again. All right, so what do you think of this one, Paul? I thought this one was, you know, I'm, I'm trying to piece together each issue as we do it, but I think this might have been the one that was closest to what we get on the screen of the five issues. Hmm. And and I think it's it's really well done. It's pa- I think it's paced really, really well. It kind of feels like, it feels like the conclusion as it's getting there. It's got the, that frenetic pace to it. Uh, I think the artwork is, is gorgeous as, as we go through it. I think the dialogue works. I think it, it really is a, a very, very well done adaptation. I'm very happy with this. Oh, one. absolutely. I agree with you. This, this issue as a whole may be the one that's closest to the film. It, again, for time, there, there is some compression here. There are things that are in the film uh, that we don't get here. And the other four issues, it's been a real trade-off. There's things that don't happen that are in the film, but there's a lot of stuff that happens uh, that doesn't happen in the film that we get in the adaptation. And off the top of my head, I things got caught but didn't get added in this, unless I missed something. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think by the nature of the beast, you're always going to have some differences to them. And uh, I'll, I'll qualify my statement with saying I think this one has the closest feeling to what we get in the movie. I think, you know, like, I think maybe the, the biggest difference I made in the uh, five issues might have been the whole sequence with Box, which felt I thought very I thought it felt very different in the comic than it did in the movie. Yeah. But but I think this one felt the most like the movie as I was watching it. This this had that cinematic feel to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to flip back to the cover for just a moment because my first note was there, just to uh, give you a, give you a glimpse an insight into my level of nerddom here. I was looking at the flag, and kind of wondering. Uh, this this is the note I called. Uh, so how many stars you got there on that flag anyway, boy? <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the whole, you know, the whole section of, of the Stars and Stripes that has the stars in it. But just extrapolating from what we see here and what I can kind of count and figure out, just of what we can the lines that we can see and everything, there's at least 49 stars there. But then there's lines that we can't quite make out and everything. So I'm thinking that this flag may have well more than 50 stars, which is kind of cool because that means it's a futuristic flag, you know? Well, it's, it's, it's some a futuristic flag because there's other states that were added or they just screwed up when they drew it. Right. <laughs> One or the other. I can't tell you for certain. Right. 
the dialogue before Francis leaps at Logan uh, is almost completely different. And again, you know, I, I like some of the insights and some of the, you know, sometimes it's clarification, sometimes it's little character insights, and then sometimes, you know, the scene reads a little bit differently. This one's kind of all three. Um, I, I felt like Francis's obsession and single-minded devotion to duty really come through in this. But I also felt like I'm just not feeling his pure like anguish and internal conflict from the film. So it was interesting. It's like you're seeing a, almost a different side of his personality. Um, Cause in this, he, he doesn't, there's a couple of moments that are in the film that he doesn't quite get here, but he's much more focused here, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So I, I thought that was a, an interesting, uh, you know, dichotomy. Yeah, I, th- I think it almost feels like uh, almost feels like an obsession at this point, the way the dialogue plays out. Uh, right. That that he's you know it's it, we're getting almost the uh, Jean Valjean, uh, Les Misérables. Uh, that situation going where he, where he's obsessed with with I think he's obsessed with the fact that he thinks Logan is misguided and that it's cost him his only true friend that he's had. Right. And I think that's that's what I pick up from the dialogue here. Old man seems to get a lot more lines uh in this issue and a couple of different times in this he mentions real live people and I, he doesn't ever mention living people in the film because Logan specifically asks him about, you know, has anyone else ever passed through here or anything like that? And, and he said, Oh no. You know, so you get the feeling that he is completely on his own. He's always been completely on his own other than his mother and father, which are also excised from this issue. Do you think that's a, uh, potentially a statement to, uh, kind of keep things going when the time is right you know because we're only an issue away from that right so it, you know it could be let, let's start laying some groundwork for some other storylines because as far as we know this series is going to go on indefinitely unfortunately only went two more issues but they didn't know that I right guess, at this point. <laughs> yeah well it's got to be said both here and and most especially in the film uh you know when you've got that awesome uh jerry goldsmith soundtrack going in the background this is a total Kirk fight. Yes. I, I always love this. And I am hard pressed to decide which I like better, uh, the film version or this version, because I love them both for very different reasons. In the movie, I think the reason why I really feel like it's a Kirk fight is, for one, the music. Uh, I don't know whether it was at all intentional, but the music in the film now you have to remember this is long before goldsmith scored any star trek but i get a total you know vibe from that music you know but also it's it's brutal but it's kind of cheesy in a star trek way too which i like here in the comic there is man there's nothing cheesy about this fight they're really going at each other and I kind of like that there's a little more motivation given in this comic book fight than there is in the film. You really get the sense that Logan doesn't want to hurt Francis. He's he's trying to get him to stand down and he still considers him his friend, 
you know, he's crying, he's anguished. And the only reason that he ultimately kind of snaps and does kill him is that Francis just won't stop. And in this, he's actually threatening to release nerve gas, which I'm assuming, you know, all we all we get is just the panel saying, let go of the nerve gas. But I think you can you know, naturally assume that if he breaks it open, it's going to kill everybody. So, yeah. So, I, you know, I like that. I'm assuming this was uh, the writer's decision, you know, Kraft's decision to, to go with that motivation. Uh, it kind of it works. I, I kind of like it. But I, what I think works best about it, what I really like best about it, is that once the deed is done and, you know, he kind of comes down off that, you know, Logan comes down off that adrenaline high. He's completely gutted by the death of his friend. Uh, and it says, you know, in the di- in the uh, dialogue box, you know, the broken, uh, broken only by quiet. So he's holding Francis and crying. I noticed that in the film, the score largely carries the emotional weight of Francis's death scene. Logan looks sad, but he does not cry. He doesn't, you know, we don't see him sobbing over him or whatever. We, we you know, we get him holding Francis as he dies and then it fades to uh, the scene after they've buried Francis. And again, he looks sad in that scene. This is much more emotionally powerful, I think. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, some some interesting choices again, and I think they work. And the, the most interesting one to me is uh, the shot of him holding Francis's body and crying. Something that just wouldn't occur to me to do that angle. Uh, we're actually looking from behind Jessica and, you know, we see it's, it's down, you know, on, on a very low angle uh, and we see Jessica's leg and we see a cat behind her leg. And then further away, we see Logan's back and he's hunched over. You can't even really see his head and he's cradling Francis in his arms crying. And I think it's a very, very effective picture. I think it gives it gives across the emotion of the scene and it, it kind of gives you. Uh, the way it's framed, it gives you a feeling that this is a private moment that you're intruding upon. Yeah. So I, I think that's very, very effective, and it's an interesting choice by Perez. I wonder how many times over the course of his career he's ended up doing an image like this, because a number of instances come to mind. You know, probably the most famous one is, uh, you know, Superman holding Supergirl's dead body on the cover of Crisis Number Seven. Mm-hmm. You know. But he's, he has done an awful lot of one person holding another, you know, and weeping. And that's uh, the famous, the famous image of Mary holding the uh, body of Jesus. The, the oh, yeah, that Pieta. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, that's what yeah. that always is bringing back images of. Uh, so the, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a very I mean, it's a very, very common image. You see it in comics all the time. That scene at the top of this, we're looking at page 10 here, that scene at the top of the page where Logan is just wailing on Francis. Oh, because we see him initially strike Francis on the on the page before he they're fighting with the flag between them and he, he hits Francis and knocks him back. And then that's when Francis threatens to release the nerve gas. And then Logan kind of snaps. And for the first time, we really see him like clobber Francis with the flag, you know, like really let him have it. But then you flip to page 10 and there's several of those like skinny little panels that, that Perez does so well. You know, it's like, it's like rapid movement is how I always interpret mm-hmm. those. And he's just 
wham, 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 just hitting him repeatedly to where the flagstaff completely busts up and, and is splinters by the time he's done. Completely different from the movie because it was an you know like an iron pole in the movie. But I love this imagery. Well, it it I totally, mean, you know, it's evocative of the fact that he's got his adrenaline going, and you know, mm-hmm. it, it was he was forced to the point where he had to conclude this. And the night, you know, that that four shot sequence that you're talking about with the thin, long thin panels is followed up by one where, you know, Logan is looking back at Jessica and the dialogue gets through that, you know, he, he didn't have a choice. He had to do this. But the image of his face shows you somebody who's coming down from that adrenaline rush and is, is having trouble, like, you know, his heart is racing and he's breathing heavy and he's sweating. And I mean, it, it's all caught in that image. Absolutely. And I love that image. I, I love the way it's shaded. I, I love the angle. And he, he does. He has a you know, there's so many emotions on that face, and it's it's really it, it's really an amazing piece of artwork. Because the first thing when you look at it, you just go, "Oh, maniacal." But then there's also, you know, he's crying. There's uh, there's just so many things running through his face and that emotion. And I really like the look on Jessica's pa- face as a reaction. I think she's a little startled by this you know by the by you know his just rage in that situation yeah well i don't i don't think she saw that side of him before right so you know that that's a realistic emotion that you would feel when you 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 know i mean they haven't been together that long but they've been together long enough that she feels she really knows him and now she's seeing a side of him despite that that she hasn't seen already and and that's you know when when you see somebody who you you know, you have that kind of feelings about and everything. And, and for the first time that you see them in a rage, that's that's an eye opener. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so she's got that expression. And I, you know, I give Perez and, and Johnson total credit for uh, for being able to capture it, because that's not an easy thing to do. No, but they do. They do it masterfully here. They really do. Now, as a kid, were you uh, were you a fan of what if? Oh, yeah. I, I love that magazine. You know, I, I'd pick it up whenever the, the stories looked interesting, which was a lot. And I always wished that they had done uh, a Star Wars issue. I, I always wanted them to do a Star Wars issue. Of course, they never did. They, and to my knowledge, they never tackled anything that was outside of you know the regular Marvel canon. But as I was rereading this, I suddenly had a, a had a thought that never really occurred to me before. What if Francis was the runner? What if they flip-flopped this and it was Francis's run and Logan had to pursue him? That that's a story that'd be interesting to me. You know, now, that that'd be a I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm far from a writer, I guess, but uh in my mind, in my head canon, Logan was not quite as single-minded as Francis. And I think he would have at some point been more willing to hear what Francis had to say. Francis totally dismissed logan you know, he didn't he didn't listen at all he never never made an attempt to have a dialogue with him to find out why he was doing what he was doing and i think logan i think logan would have sought to 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 kind of capture francis as opposed to kill him and then he would have listened to what he had to say now he may or may not have been won over because he he was a true believer coming into this but I also I, I don't think I think Francis was more, you know, this is it. This is our duties. End of story. What do you think? 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I've thought I've actually <laughs> thought more about this than is probably healthy. But my I, I think what really got me to thinking about the the most was, again, looking here at page seven, the, the death scene and, and Logan cradling Francis in his arms and just something popped in my head of what if their roles were reversed in this? What if the computer had selected Francis? And I guess that whole story would hinge on Francis. It would, it would hinge on. So here, here's my thought with this is that I've always been fascinated by the fact, and, and I think it plays just a little bit better in the movie in this aspect in the movie when Francis is fully prepared to kill Logan. He, he even tells him, you are terminated, runner. He aims the gun right at him. And Logan manages to stall him long enough to, to beg Francis to look at his palm. And when he does, he's so stunned, he just drops his gun. And from, I think that moment is where this whole, that's where Francis's life hinges, is in that moment when he's confronted with his clear life clock. And that's kind of what got me to thinking about this entire thing. So in that what if story, I think it all depends on Francis. If he was completely alone, he he's on assignment. He's not chasing anybody. He's just on assignment like Logan was initially. What would the evidence of his own eyes, you know, what what would that do to him? Would he stay on duty? Or would he realize I'm free? And I think we get glimpses into his thinking uh, much more with this than we do in the film in certain aspects when he and Logan are facing off with the with the flagstaff between them. You know, he's saying, you're trying to tell me my life is a lie, that everything I believe is false, that the years I spent training to be a Sandman were a waste. Uh, I don't want to hear it, Logan. He says, uh, all I want to do, all I want to know is why you're doing this to me. So, yeah, I, yeah, there's such, I mean, there's real drama in that, you know. But that's that's and, where I see Lo, uh, Francis as more single-minded. That he's sa- he's saying, you know, you're you're presenting me with proof, and I don't want to hear it because that you know, I don't want that that in, invalidates my life. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas Logan, when he was presented, I mean, Logan was a true believer as well. But when he was presented with these evidence things as he went along and he was presented them more slowly and and systematically than Francis is having it, you know, just information dump on him. Uh, But Logan was always more accepting of the information as it came in. So I, I, I think, you know, ultimately, when presented with the truth, Francis chose to live in denial and say, I, I don't want to hear it. I'm gonna I, I would rather be naive and, and just go forward as if, you know, things were the way I always thought they were. Whereas I I suspect that Logan over time would have accepted it. I like I said, I think he would have been more less somewhat less single minded. I think he would have ex- he would have sought more to capture than to terminate. And I think he would have listened to the evidence and he eventually would have been won over and then we could have had a story of Logan and Francis working together. At that point. Yeah, I think that's the what if that I would yeah. create. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I I really thought that there were two possible what if stories, but that's the one that I favor where eventually they wind up together. Uh, and however that all plays out. But, you know, they wind up free 
in the outside the dome world together. So ultimately, uh, other, I, I think Francis valued his life and the meaning to his life more than he valued his friendship with Logan. And I think when you see what Logan's reaction is when Francis dies, Logan valued that friendship more. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think that's part of the, the tragedy of, of the whole situation. Yeah. It is. It's sad. It's it. It really is a sad I'm moment. Never, I'm never watching this movie again. It's too depressing. <laughs> Real quick here, although the old man uh, mentions burying Francis, which is what they do, uh, there's no mention of burying the old man, which was you know there was a bit of a plot with that in the film. So after that, they they set out you know to take the old man back to the city with them. So here's where I really had to to go back and consult the film. I love page 14 where they're walking back through I've never been able to figure out exactly where this is cuz the old man calls it a road. I always wondered was it supposed to be the reflecting pond cuz it seems too deep for that. But anyway, with the with the Washington Memorial behind them and everything, they're walking towards us the reader. And they're covered in cats. The old man has one on his head. Logan's carrying like three of them. Jessica's got, I don't know, one or two in her arms. And I couldn't remember. I'm like, did they did they take the cats with them? So I had to go back and look at the movie. They do not. Uh, and, and I even watched it, you know, all the way back through again, you know, from this point to the end of the film to see, did the old man have any cats with him while he's waiting for them outside the power generator thing? And he didn't. So they do, they do not take any cats with them. I actually kind of like this, though, that he took cats with him in the adaptation. I, I think that's actually a really nice touch. I don't know about this many cats, maybe one, you know. I keep, but. I, I keep thinking of uh, Indiana Jones. When it's, uh, Salah, I said no camels. That's three camels. Can't you count? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I said no cats. That's 20 cats. <laughs> <laughs> this I thought this was an interesting so that dialogue kind of makes it sound like the old man was around before the disaster did did you read it that way too that's that's always been kind of my take on it that he he's he predates this level of civilization I mean we never really get an age on him so I, I don't know but yeah, my impression was always that he was around before all this. In fact, he was around and he was sheltered for my my backstory is that that as this all started to develop, uh, he and his parents fled society. And that's why he grew up outside of it. I guess that I am. I, I was thinking that that doesn't really work, but I, I guess that could work because that particular long... that particular take on it also kind of lends itself to the idea that there are others out there for Logan to encounter if this series were to continue. So right. so that that, <laughs> that headcanon works yeah. for me pretty well actually. That's a good point. I mean, we get absolutely nothing from I I can't, I can't remember the book enough to tell you about the book, but from this and and especially from the movie, we get no idea how long you know, Logan's world had been around, you know, the dome city and all that. I guess I just naturally assumed it's been this way for like a long, like hundreds of years. But yeah, I guess it is possible that all of this has happened within, you know, a generation, a generation or two. Cause how old do you think the old man is? Like 70, 80, yeah, somewhere, somewhere in between those two, somewhere in his seventies, I would say. So that would put him, 
you know, let's just say he's old enough to remember, you know, before all this happened. So if it happened, say, 50 years ago, that would put him at 20 when it happened. Uh, actually, let's see, you could say it probably happened more like 60 years ago, which would still have him as a young boy with his parents. Uh, so 60 years ago and that, you know, this is all the life that Logan and Francis know. And it's all the life that everybody in that society know because uh, they, they uh, you know, they, no, nobody in that society is old enough to remember before it. That first generation of dome citizens, how do you because see, this is where the idea that it's been a long time, like like possibly hundreds of years comes to my mind is how do you get to a point where people willingly walk into a suicidal situation with absolutely no thought whatsoever? You know, so these people willingly submit, most of them, willingly submit themselves to flame out on last day at Carousel. They just, it's a given. They do it. Like those people that would enter the, the disintegration tubes in Star Trek. You know, they don't think anything about it because they've been doing it for so long. If you were the writer of this and you're doing, you know, this series is running on and you're going to do, you know, some stories. One of the things I'd want to explore is how did this civilization come to be in the first place? Uh, right. And, and yeah. you'd probably have to come up with some sort of a, a council, uh, almost like the mutants from the planet of the, from beneath the planet of the apes, but not necessarily mutated, but just separate and apart from the society. This, this is, again, this is just my, my version of it. Uh, and somehow they, see the problem and they realize the problem is whatever overpopulation or whatever and they have to implement this plan and i think at some point you'd actually have all these people in this other end of society who put this into place who are still alive even though they're like ancient now i was just going to ask you about that because you know i'm really glad to hear you say that because i've all often wondered is that too cliche a thought because i've had that thought for a long time you know, I mean, I'm happy that that, you know, they tried to go forward with this with Marvel Comics and everything. But ultimately, when it comes to the film, I'm actually really happy there was never a sequel to this movie because I, I kind of feel like it's a done and well, like it didn't really need one. But if you were ever going to do it, that's where my mind always goes is how interesting would it be to find out later that you had thousands of people just willingly walk in and die at age 30 because that's how they'd been indoctrinated. But you find out that behind the scenes, this entire society was ultimately controlled by say like a handful of old men. Yeah. I don't know if it's too cliche cause you know, I'm not a professional writer. So maybe, maybe my, my thoughts of where I'd go are too simplistic. Uh, but I kind of like the idea. I think it could be an interesting thing and it depends on how well it's put together. Uh, but I think it could be fun. And then, you know, you, you also got to keep in mind as far as that goes also that it's a licensed property and you may not have the right to go into certain areas that you'd want to because the right. owners of the license might say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You know? Right. Yeah. My only real criticism, honestly, of not only this issue, but kind of the series as a whole is – and it's kind of best illustrated in this issue is that once again, the love story between Logan and Jessica is given really short shrift in this issue. It's, it's not given anything because the, they have this like pseudo swearing of marriage vows to each other in the film. 
Uh, it happens here on page 14 in the nighttime scene between the time they leave the capital and they arrive at the city. There's a there's a really nice scene where they're asking the old man about the words that they had seen on tombstones, wife and husband. They don't understand the words because they don't have that in their society. We get none of that in this adaptation. The whole thing with uh, explaining familial relationships and husband, wife, vows, that whole thing. All of that's dropped from the adaptation. And I, I understand why they did it. You know, they want to keep the story moving. You know, this is, you know, presumably this whole thing was for, for young men, you know, looking for a good action adventure type story, you know, a good sci-fi story. So they didn't want to go that, that mush route. But I like that part of the story, and I, I think it, it helps cement why is Jessica in all this situation. You know, it's because they're in love. You know, they found each other, but you don't really get that from this. No, I, I, uh, I don't think – yeah, I don't think they really play with that in the comics so much, and they leave it just to kind of – I think they leave it to your imagination effectively. Yeah. You know, just, just – you, you, you think of their relationship, whatever you want. We're not going there. But, uh, again, you know, as it went on, maybe they would have given us a little bit more with that. You know, maybe they would have given some rival or something to to show, you know, give them a chance to demonstrate how much they truly care about each other. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Uh, flipping the page here, page 15 is stunning to me. I love this. It's more than likely very photo referenced, but I don't care. I still think it's awesome. I don't think photo uh, referenced is necessarily a, you know, a, a negative thing if it's done well. And here right. it's done well. It, it does, this doesn't look like a photograph. It's not like, uh, you know, I mean, I remember in, at some point in the later 60s, Kirby did something where he actually took like photographs and then. Would, would actually right. put a comic image on the photograph. So, you know, like it was like a, a photograph of like outer space, but he would draw the spaceship. So it would be very obvious what was photographed and what was hand drawn. Uh, and, and I never thought that worked. I, I always thought it looked kind of silly, to be honest with you. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Uh, to my mind, I mean, he did that a lot. I never liked any of it, just mostly because of the shortcomings of the comic book printing process back then. But, to my mind, the only one of those images, and there were a lot of them, the only one that ever really worked was that cover that uh, Dave Pascarella just posted up in our group not long ago. It's uh, Action Comics. It's like – I'm pulling this off the top of my head. I want to say it's like 417 or something like that. It's that one of Superman flying straight up at us from the city. Mm -hmm. You know the one I'm talking about? Think, it's I a Neil Adams cover. Yes. I love that one. That's different. Um, and there's one that's, of, that's truly just a background. Yeah. The focus, the focus of the photo yeah. is not the actual. Well, the photo is not the focus of the cover. Superman is is really right. the focus, so it, it still you know it plays better. Uh, I think when you know in in the ones I'm talking about, it was like you know the primary goal was to show that photograph. So I I, I think yeah you know, I think we, we're it's it's almost comparing apples and oranges to to go there. I love how Logan looks on this page, too. He's very, like, Luke Skywalker slash Captain America, but I really like it. I, I think he looks really good. Yeah. I I have absolutely no problem with Michael York, but this this image here is a, a, a real 
like hero image that I'm not sure he can pull off. You know what I mean? Well, I, I've, uh, I've said a couple of times as we've gone through these five issues that I actually like comic book Logan more than movie Logan. He seems, right. you know, he seems tougher. He seems more, uh, there's, there almost seems to be a more, a more every man feel about him. Uh, right. I, I, again, I don't know if that's fair. It's probably not fair to Michael York so much, but, it, uh, you know, I, I like the comic book version more. And I think it begs the question here, and, and this is in the film as well, where they suppose that the power uh, comes from the water and it has something to do with ocean tides. How do they know anything about ocean tides if they're born, bred, raised and die in a domed society and they've never seen the outside world how do they know anything about ocean tides unless the old man clued them in about it somehow when off panel right uh stop me if you got anything else here i'm gonna jump way ahead to yeah, we kind of the... move along quickly now <laughs> <laughs> uh the computer debriefing scene uh, bottom of page 22 and then all of page 23. This to me is stunning. It's always been stunning and it's almost as creepy as it is in the film. This part to this day freaks me out when I watch the movie, the, the whole, you know, the holographic heads and the creepy voice and he's all slowed down and wraith like sounding or something. It's, it just freaks me out, but I love it. You know, it's, it's a good freak out. It's a good 70s sci-fi freak-out. If Bill were here, he'd comment on the, page, the, the full page, uh, which is number page 23. He'd comment that we, we could see up Logan's nose so it looks like Gil Kane drew it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. Which I do not think it looks like Gil Kane drew it, but I, I guarantee you that Bill would have made that comment, even if he believed it looked like <laughs> it didn't look like him. He, I, I just, you know, I've done enough shows with Bill at this point that I know he would have said that. Yeah, I, I think now, I think that's a really well drawn picture. But in that particular picture, to me, he actually looks like Adam Warlock. Yeah. Uh, now is that because of the coloring as well? You think? Because yes. The, yeah, because they give him a yeah. golden U. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. He does look like Adam Warlock. I like on the next page as everything you know, Logan defeats the computer. Everything starts to go all all crazy and haywire and stuff blowing Kirk's up the computer. Let's go back to Star Trek. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. He he totally does. He totally Captain Kirk's the computer. One of the Sandmen says somehow dot dot dot. He set off a series of blasts, and I can't help but wonder if this is a bit of commentary by Kraft because. As much as I love this story, I, you know, even I can admit, you know, it, it has some shortcomings. And this was probably the biggest one is, yeah, he just kind of somehow defeats the computer. We don't really get an explanation. The, the end of the movie is the weakest part of the story uh, as far as, like, logical progression. We're, we're just we just kind of accept it. It's, it's but, somehow it's that the computer is based on a false premise and that when the computer understands that that's the case, the AI in it is unable to cope with that, and therefore it starts to break down. And as the AI starts to break down, the machinery starts to physically break down. And I'm not sure that makes any sense in reality, but I think those are the leaps of logic that you have to make. Right. Yeah. 
And, and you know, I'm, I can suspend a lot of disbelief when it comes to, you know, my science fiction. So, yeah, I, I always run with it. But it is one of those things that occurs for me, you know, to me from time to time when I you know either reread this or watch the movie. I'm like, OK, so what what just happened? <laughs> yeah. But you just kind of roll with it. Now, serious question for you, because I, I made this observation while flipping back through this again. Starting with page 26, the, the page after the, the full page splash of the debriefing, starting with that page and through the rest of the book, which is like four pages, do you think the art takes just a little bit of a step down? It, it looks something changed. It, it looks, I don't know if it's a little rushed or, or what, but do, do you see it as well? Uh, slightly. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's dramatic. I think it, but I do think I think you may be right. I think, it, you know, we may have been coming up against a time deadline at this point and it might be a little bit more rushed. I can't quite put my finger on it. It almost looks like maybe the, the inks are a little looser or something. I don't know. It's it's kind of a combination of things. The, the color palette changes just a bit, too. Well, that's yeah, I mean, Jansen is doing the inking and the coloring. So if he's running up against a little bit of a of a rush, that could influence both. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't I don't see any like serious problems in the last couple of pages. I just think it's it's not quite at the same level. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I meant. Yeah. No, it's not like it just suddenly falls down or something. But it, it just I, I just couldn't help but notice that it was a little bit different quality wise. But I, I still love it. I think it's a really good ending. I, you know, I, I get the feeling uh, that the splash page with Logan and the and the computer and all. I think he spent a lot of time on that. It really looks like he, he really worked his butt off to try and do that right, especially like the, the shots that are supposed to be like the computer screen versions of Logan. I, I bet you those took a long time to do just right. And I, I could see where that might put him up against the, to the clock a little bit at that point. And now he's down to the last few pages and it's like, oh, geez, I got to get this done. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. Makes total sense. I like it, though. I, you know, this again, this is the sort of thing that uh, that Perez really excels at, you know, the, the whole, uh, you know, destruction and explosions and, you know, the, the whole crisis scenario. You know, here's a whole city just coming unglued mm -hmm. and it looks it looks really good. I, I kind of get a, a Krypton vibe out of off of this, you know, the, the destruction of Krypton type of thing, because it's the same essential thing. You know, this is the end of their society. And we see, you know, people running from the blast and things toppling over and people falling, you know, possibly to their deaths and, you know, the city just being destroyed. I, it's it's cool. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I love the girl throwing her uh, throwing her arms around the old man, too. Mm -hmm. now, now, how old is that? Is that supposed to be? It's a little tough to tell in the drawing. Is that supposed to be a very, very young girl or is she supposed to be, a, you know, a teenager, maybe? Well, just judging by her outfit, she's a green. But in the movie, she she looks like she's probably I don't know, like seventeen or something in the movie. Yeah, I guess that sounds about right. Yeah, it is hard to tell here. And then they all gather around, and that's similar to movie. And then Logan and Jessica just hanging out on the rooftop, watching the world come to an end. Now, you know, naturally, as you say, we are going to go on to the subsequent issues. What do you think about there being subsequent issues? Like when you walk away from the movie, do you feel like, Oh, I want more. I want to see where this is going. Or are you 
satisfied with, you know, it, it ends where it ends and we never got a sequel. Uh, mixed feelings. Cause when I like something, I'm usually ready for more. And then I just kind of hope that they do well with it. <laughs> you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I mean, I, you get mixed results. You get sequels that are really good. You get sequels that aren't. And, you know, it, the potential for quality is there. Uh, so if they had made a sequel, if we had gotten, you know, Logan still running, uh, I would have watched it and I would have given it a shot. I probably would need the trailer to get me excited about it because I wouldn't know where they were going to go. I, yeah, I think for me, that's the biggest thing is the the question of I, I guess I was always happy as they didn't do more because I can't think of what you would do. Where where would you, where is there to go with this? I mean, and I almost go to, there, to what I was saying before, like, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but my mind went to beneath the planet of the apes with the mutants and everything. And my, my mind goes to kind of, OK, we take this outside of the, the dome now and we go back out into, you know, the sanctuary area. And when we're out there, we see that there is more to this than we thought. And there are people who've been manipulating things behind the scenes. And really, all we saw was one small portion of civilization and there's a whole world out there that we haven't even experienced yet. So I, I do think there's ways of doing that. And that's where my mind goes. And again, maybe it's maybe, you know, not being a professional writer, maybe I am going for the cliche a little bit. But I think there's potential for it to be interesting. Do you think it kind of hinges on them getting out of the city, though? I don't think there's... I personally don't think I don't see a lot you could do in the city right now. Right. That wouldn't feel just like, OK, we're going to we're going to reinstall the life clocks and we're going to go with this. Uh, you know, I mean, you you could go with kind of political intrigue where now that this area has ended, uh, you know, we have a city here with with people who have no idea how to live their lives and no guidance. And so and so is behind the scenes manipulating it to try and take over and uh you know, and, and, and become the power. But to me, that feels cliched. Right. So I don't think I would like it if that's where they opted to go. So I think, well, yeah, I think also, you had to get outside of the city to write something interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And there's also, again, you know, you have to remember the time frame. While that may be very interesting today to kind of do like a, a walking dead on it where you see them trying to rebuild society and rebuild the world. And we don't really ever get a sense of the old man, like how smart is he? How much does he really know? But I think it's possible you could make him kind of, you know, like he teaches them agriculture, or, you know, because, I mean, obviously he was living on his own. He was surviving on his own. He must know something. Mm -hmm. uh, but how interesting would that be to an eight-year-old audience in the early 70s reading comics, or at least the audience they thought they had, you know? Today, that you know, you could probably be make that very interesting if you if you did it just right. But again, you know, would it have sold back then? I, I, I don't know. One thing I but, would uh, not want to see is... 
oh, we get outside and we learn that the, the old man has been manipula manipulating things and he's really not as benevolent as we thought. Uh, and that, that right. would always feel to me, if, if you remember in RoboCop 2, they did that with the old man in charge of the company, you know, who uh, was benevolent in the first movie. But then when they got to the second movie, he was also kind of screwing things, screwing around with things. Uh, you know, yeah, I and, and that's I, I would that's not like it if you were reasons there. I hate that. Yeah, I really didn't like that with that. That that was. Yeah, that really I can remember watching that movie in the theater for the first time. And that was just like throwing ice cold water on me. I'm like, wait, what? Because I liked him. And uh, yeah, then to make him ultimately he was the bad guy behind everything was I. Oh, yeah, I really hated that. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that sorry up. Say sorry for bringing up bad memories. <laughs> but you know what? We, next time out, we're going to see where they do go with this story. And honestly, I'm not sure I ever read them. I don't know if I've ever read issues six and seven. If I have, I don't remember it. Yeah, that's the thing for me is I have, but I really don't remember it uh, much I'm, at all. I'm very curious so as I'm to where curious they're going to go. So I'm curious to see it again. Yeah, yeah I am too. And so, yeah, we will we will be looking at the subsequent issues, uh, six and seven. Uh, I imagine we'll probably uh, we at least want to take a peek at that Thanos backup story, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with Logan's run. It just kind of got dumped there. No, yeah, as long as we're doing uh, the then, issue, we might as well cover that as well. And then there's a, a story that ended up getting published somewhere. I've got to do my homework on this. I think it was Bizarre Adventures, I want to say. But there was a story that wound up somewhere else in Marvel that was originally intended to be an issue of Logan's run. And then uh, not long ago, some artwork started to pop up of work that uh, subsequent artists were doing for the series when the series got canned and it's never been published. Uh, so we'll kind of take a look at all that stuff in, in the future and give this whole thing uh, you know, the full, the full skinny. Yeah, and I could—I would imagine we're going to see some differences as far as the quality. Now, it may be great. I don't know. But, uh, you know, they're not written by David Anthony Kraft, and they're not drawn by George Perez. So. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. I, I meant to bring that up. Um, yeah, we get all of that information in the letters page of this issue. There's actually a, a, a sign-off from David Anthony Kraft saying, well, that's all for, you know, me, George and Klaus, we're, we're done. And, you know, we're handing it off to somebody else. And I would love to know, what, what, did he just see the writing on the wall or, or did they were, they were only committed for the adapt? You know, why did they bail? Because I, I'm wondering, you know, what was he doing it as, you know, he was thinking, you know, this is the smart thing to do is to get out. You know, they, they he just didn't see any, you know, any sequel potential. I don't know. It's, it'd be interesting to find out. if we can, Did they so. bail or was it never actually even offered it to them? I don't know that. Yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah. It may not have been. That's a good point. I was trying to think of what other adaptations Marvel ever did where they went beyond the film. And there was, you know, obviously star Wars, there was 2001, there was Raiders, what else was there? My, oh, Planet of the Apes, of course. I, I guess there were quite a few of them. Oh, yeah. I was thinking there really wasn't that many, that it was it was basically just this and Star Wars, but there actually were quite a few now that I stopped to think about it. Well, what else you got on uh, 
Logan's run number five. No, I think I think I'm about talked out on number five. <laughs> I'm ready to start <laughs> opening right. up number six and look into it. And I guess that's probably the best thing about it is while we could sit here and have mixed feelings over whether or not we wanted a sequel to the movie, I can very clearly tell you I wanted a sequel to the comic. I wanted to see where they were going to go, and I still want to, so I'm looking forward to to these last two issues. I, again, I have no idea what we're going to get quality-wise. Uh, we, we may read these two and say, yeah, they, they canceled this for a reason. Or we may read it and say, you know what, it's kind of a shame it didn't have the audience because I would have liked to have seen this go on even further. I don't know. Well, the only thing I can tell you is I have not read ahead or reread, I guess I should say. I have not looked ahead. Um, but the one thing I can tell you that, that we do have to look forward to is there was an awful lot of this issue, especially, again, that beautiful splash page on page uh, 15 or, or mostly a splash page where the inks really reminded me of Terry Austin. And next issue Terry Austin's the anchor, so we have that to look forward to. Okay. I don't remember who the I don't remember who the penciler is on that, but uh, the uh, inks are gorgeous. I could tell you the penciler is Tom Sutton. Tom Sutton, that's right. Yeah. And the uh, yeah. stories are written by John Warner. Uh, I'm not really particularly familiar with John Warner off the top of my head. Maybe if somebody yeah, pointed that's... something out to me, I'd know, but not offhand. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't tell you something else he's done off the top of my head. Again, yeah, something for us to get to. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Did so, you want to do grades on this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, huh? I'm going to jump in first. I'm going to say the cover. Uh, I think it's just a solid A. I think it really pops. I think the color choices are interesting, but I think they work. Uh, and I think the actual art is really well done. The interior art, I think, is pretty solid throughout and there's a couple of pictures that really jump out at me as being exceptionally good uh you know the picture of them uh as as they're making their way after francis has died uh, uh you know what is that uh, uh, through the water whatever uh the picture of, of logan you know with the computer i mean there's just some excellent shots in here uh the stuff where, where it seems to kind of drop down a little i don't think it drops down very far at all uh, and I, I, you know, again, you could see so like a difference in it, but it's not like it jumps out at like, oh, my God, this is so inconsistent. So I'm going to say the interior art is uh, I'm going to say an A minus. It, it, it's not that it's perfect, but I think it's really good. And the story, I think, conveys the ending very, very well. I think it's it's, you know, for an adaptation, I think Kraft did a great job. And I'm going to say just a solid A on that. And I'm going to give the book an A. All right. I love the cover. This is my favorite cover of the series. However, it's not without things that <laughs> that I, I could quibble about. Uh, I totally agree with you with the color thing. While I think it works as a very dynamic cover, uh, the color, it, it could be confusing to somebody just kind of picking it up or looking at it on the stands. It does look like an alien scape. It doesn't look like an earthscape. So, uh, you know, points off for that. Plus, uh, as much as I love, you know, the, the posing and the images of, of Logan and Francis, it's a little house style, if you know what I mean. And I, I think that's because of Giacoya's inks on this. So it, it it moves it a little bit more into the realm of Marvel Comics as opposed to an adaptation of a film, if you know what I mean. 
So overall, I, I'm going to go just an A on this. It's it. I was so bad, want to give it an A plus, but that's really that's you know nostalgia and emotion talking. But it, it's a solid A cover. Really, a really good one. Interior art. Again, this is where I've got to let uh, I, I got to kind of put you know nostalgia and, and my attachment to this aside a little bit. Some of my favorite imagery of this adaptation is in this issue. So many images in this are, are my favorite images from the whole thing, uh, especially you know from the fight with uh, Francis and Logan at the beginning, especially the part where they're using the flag between us. I love that whole sequence, leaving the Capitol, the, the water plant, and then uh, the computer debriefing. I mean, these are all images that are just absolutely burned into my memory, and, uh, and I think they're great. But there's no denying, you know, the art does take a, a step down uh, for the last several pages of the book. So, you know, grading it all together, uh, it kills me to grade it just an A-, minus. but I, I agree with you, Paul. I, I think it's not quite there just because of the inconsistency but damn it it's still beautiful it's it's such a good book to just look at and then story wise yeah i'm gonna give it a straight up a on the story it it doesn't do everything the movie does but it does give us some some different insights into the characters and some added insights and i like your point that it give us you know it gave future writers potential and things to chew on uh, for for places that they might be able to go with the story. Uh, that was frankly something I just didn't really consider. And I, I think it's an excellent point. So, yeah, uh, overall great on this straight up a it, it's beautiful, such a good book. And uh, and I would give a straight up a to the overall adaptation as well. I think the whole thing is uh, I think it's must reading, honestly. I agree. I agree. And uh, it's such a shame this has never been reprinted. I could not remember. I looked this up because I couldn't remember what movie house this was. And I was so hoping that this was a 20th Century Fox, meaning that Disney owned it now. And, you know, meaning Marvel owns it now. But, of course, it's not. It was an MGM. So I think this would be great if they reprinted it in a treasury size. Treasury size or like well, – I don't know if they did the, – the recent uh, – reprinting of superman versus muhammad ali was was that hardbound i'm not sure if they would do it hardbound treasure like almost like an absolute you know what i mean oversized Mm -hmm. hardbound collection of this adaptation you know reprinted you know uh cleaned up oh man i would i'd be in heaven i would i'd shell out for that i really would so if you're if you're listening marvel you got a sale right here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're whistling into yeah. the wind because I don't think there's enough of an audience along with us. But who knows? If we're if our audience is much, much bigger than I thought, and if we have inspired them to want to see it, if you all write into Marvel right now, maybe you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> All right, so that'll have to that'll have to do it for our adaptation of the movie. But there is more Logan's Run to come. We'll we're gonna have two more episodes at least about this. So uh, I look forward to doing them, and hopefully you guys look forward to listening to them. Me too. Thanks for joining me, Paul. Thanks for letting me uh, indulge myself on this one because I I love this so much. I, I hope that love really came across in this for everybody. I I think it definitely did. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>